Thank you, Dorothy. Thank God it wasn't just a perfect tree. It's a perfect Savior that hung on that tree. And uh, that's why we're here. That's what Christmas is all about. The real reason for the season is there is hope. And that hope is found in the one that didn't stay in the manger who went to the cross because he loves us. So We are in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Not the most exciting section of Scripture as we talk about reading through the Bible. Uh, uh, you come to those list of names, and like a preacher friend of mine said, you know, some of these words. He said, when I do those readings and those words, I just say, hard word, hard word. So if I get to one of these names and I say, hard word, hard word, you understand, right? So we're going to look at the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning that's found here in Matthew 1 verses 1 through 17. So I'm going to ask if you'll stand in our God's honor as I read from his word, Matthew chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltil, Shiltil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, Abud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliad, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, Lord, at first glance, we see this list of names and we're like, what? But, oh, God, the blessings there, Lord. And I pray that you open our hearts, Father. I think of your wonderful word that says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, Father, as I come uh, to be your representative, Lord, 
in opening up your word. Father, I just want to hide in you. I want to be hidden, God. I'm not interested in people seeing me. I'm interested in us seeing you. And so, Holy Spirit, as always, we invite you to continue in this service, Lord. I have felt your spirit in, um, Father, the just the warmth of this family of believers. And, Father, I pray that your spirit would not be grieved in any way as we continue. We want to hear from you. So do what I can't do. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as, as we think about genealogy and family studies, I can't help but think about old Bill Midget over there, man. I, I talked to Bill one day, and that guy knows, you know, I don't want to put him on the spot. If any of y'all are interested in knowing about your family history, I already did put you on the spot. Sorry about that, Bill. Uh, you know, I'd love to ask him some questions, but there's a little bit of fear. What will I find in the family tree? You know, as they say, you know, a few nuts fall off the tree and the nuts don't fall far from the tree. All right, Jerry. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I ran about, uh, read about one lady. Um, she was doing some research for uh, an author. And in the, in the research of this book that he was writing, one of her family members was discovered who was a murderer. And was going to be executed at the famous Sing Sing prison in New York. And she came to him and said, look, I don't want this in your book. It's highly embarrassing. And is there any way that you could write this in such a way that it doesn't look so terrible? Because I don't want people to read this about my relatives. The guy thought for a moment and he said, yeah, don't worry about it. So the book came out. Of course, she was interested and wanted to read what was written about her relative in the book. And uh, Here's what she read. He occupied the chair of applied electricity in one of America's best-known institutions. He was very much attached to his position, and he died in the harness. Now, as we dive into these verses in Matthew chapter 1, we read about some unflattering people. But they're there for a purpose. God has them there for a reason. Matter of fact, the Jewish readers, as they read these words, they were drawn to the fact of, that they were seeing the family tree of Jesus Christ about to be revealed because this was critically important in the Jewish culture. It was important that people were Jews who were pure within the nation, that it was a family of God's called people, of the Jewish people. It, it was important with occupation, with land rights, with status, with, with connections to, to the tribes and the lineage and all those advantages. As a matter of fact, in the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, the lineages were recorded of the families. And this was considered to be very valuable, this pedigree that revealed 
the purity of the Jews. Matter of fact, to be part of that Sanhedrin, not only did those who served in that Supreme Court have to have a pedigree of a family tree that revealed they were truly Jewish, but their wives had to go back at least five generations. Ezra, when he came back from captivity, as the priest systems were trying to be um, restarted. There were several who wanted to serve as priests, but their family lines could not be validated, so they were not able to serve because there was a certain pedigree. Are you truly Jewish? Herod the Great, as he searched for the child who was to come in great jealousy, he wanted to be known as a Jew and to have that pedigree. He wanted to be known as the king of the Jews, but he was not fully Jewish. In his family were Edomites. And everybody knew that. But he didn't want it to be known. So what did he do? He destroyed the official records. But people still knew he wasn't purely Jewish. Now, as we open up this text here, I want to look at least three reasons we're going to look at this morning. For the value of these words of this family tree that is listed for us. First, it is to validate the pedigree of Jesus, the Messiah. The name Jesus means whom salvation comes through Jehovah. And his royalty is shared through revealing this family line. And there's three sections of 14 names. And of course, many believe this comes back in the day. Not everybody read. And so they would memorize a section of Scripture so that they would have it in their hearts and be able to go back. If they were able to get a, a copy of, of these written words, they would take the time to learn these and, and memorize these. And the three sections, the first section goes from Abraham to King David. And that is mentioned here in Verse 6, as it says in Jesse, the father of King David. And then the second section goes from David to the captivity of Babylon. That's wrapped up there at verse 11. In Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And ultimately ending up there in verse 16. As we go from the captivity to the birth of Jesus, who is the ultimate deliverer. Who brings forth not just freedom from captivity... That was physical, but spiritual captivity. The miracle found in him. Secondly, the genealogy reveals the demonstration of the providence of God. In A.D. 70, when Titus the Roman general marched into Jerusalem, he not only destroyed Jerusalem, but he destroyed the temple. And along with the temple, all of the genealogical records were also destroyed. So the evidence of the pedigree of one who could be the Messiah, that evidence was destroyed because those records had been destroyed. Except for one record, which is the record that is our text this morning. It was no accident. Matthew, a tax collector, he was meticulous in record keeping. And what appeared to be just part of his personality 
his probably obsessive-compulsive behavior of having to, you know, write down these details was part of God's perfect plan in His providence to bring forth the record of the Messiah. Also, in verse 12 here, I want you to see here, it talks about being from the line of Jeconiah in verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltel. Now, this is important. Turn with me to Jeremiah 22, verse 30. Talking about Jeconiah, it says, uh, This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. So we look at the scripture and we say, Well, then Jesus is. In this genealogy. He's in this line. So how can this be fulfilled? Well there's another genealogy. That is mentioned in Luke. Chapter 3. And it's it's different. Because the one that. Um, we're reading in Matthew. Is tracing Jesus. Adoptive father Joseph. All the way back to David. Through his son Solomon. In Luke it's tracing Mary's natural father Eli. All the way back to David. Through another son of David named Nathan. Now I understand all this is tedious. But there's a point to all of this. You see if Jesus had been the natural born son of Joseph. He would have been disqualified from David's throne. Because Joseph was in the bloodline of Jeconiah. And no descendant could come from the bloodline of Jeconiah. And rightfully claim the throne. But Jesus wasn't a blood descendant of Joseph was he? He was the virgin birth, his true father, the heavenly father. So God wove together his bloodline through the virgin Mary. But from his adoptive father, Joseph, Jesus received a legal right to reign. He brought together the royal bloodline and the legal right to reign, the royal pedigree and the royal privilege through God's miraculous work in bringing together Mary and Joseph. God doesn't waste anything. As God is at work. Look at verse 15 with me back in Matthew chapter 1. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Math, and Matthew, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, notice this. The father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Not the father of Jesus, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. And then thirdly, one more principle here is the principles of grace. That is so beautifully articulated in this genealogy. Uh, first, there are 15 kings that are mentioned. About half those kings are are godly, righteous men. Uh, kings like David, Hezekiah, Josiah. But then there are also wicked kings like Re- Rehoboam and Jeconiah and Manasseh. Who did not follow the Lord, but did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Why are they there? Why are these evil kings part of this family tree? Why didn't God hide them? Why are they mentioned? Why why are they written in the Holy Scriptures? Just keep in mind, Jesus didn't come to praise His forefathers. He came to die for them. He came to save sinners. That's His perfect work. And still more shocking, in that day, women... uh, did not serve in leadership, and, and they were not given attention. And Four women are mentioned in this genealogy. And even more so, they were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. But yet, they are part of this family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse 3. First one is mentioned. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. As you think about Tamar, uh, we read a account about her in Genesis 38. She married the son of Judah, and her husband died. And then her next husband died, and she was desperate for a child. And so what she do? She dressed like a temple prostitute and put a veil over her face and waited for her father-in-law, Judah, to come. And then nine months later, she had twins who both joined the lineage of the Messiah. And, and, and so, yes, why is this mentioned in the Scriptures? Man, this is a blight on the family tree. Shh. We, we don't want to mention this. Man, it's just another obvious thing to me of why the Scriptures are true. It, because it tells the truth. Even when it's difficult to understand or to read. God doesn't just save the goody-goody. He saves the broken of which we all are. And then in verse 5, the second lady that is mentioned. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, Tamar, she dressed like a temple prostitute and fulfilled the role for that encounter. But Rahab, that was her profession. (laughs) She was a prostitute. Now, that very word can sometimes be used for innkeeper in the Hebrew. So there have been some scholars that, well, maybe she was just an innkeeper. But then when you look in the book of James, that also describes Rahab. The word that's used there is the Greek word porne, which speaks of fornicator. And it takes away any guessing. That was her role. But but what happened is, as she was in her brothel, her heart was convicted as the God's people came and to conquer that city she lived in. It was revealed to her that they were serving the one true God. And she wanted to commit her life to the one true God. She wanted to follow God. And so what happened? Man, she was redeemed. Her her past was cleaned up and and she entered into the family of God. And and she was fully received and fully loved. Isn't it great? Some of us have some backstories. We don't want them in print. And I get it, you know. But praise be to God that God, He's not only read it, He knows it and He still receives us. He received Rahab and He receives us regardless of of our past. And then there's another lady that's. Well, well let's go on here. In talking about her. She entered in. Here we have Rahab. We know about her past. She meets this Jewish guy. 
named Salmon falls in love with her. And he's part of this royal line. And he notices her and he proposes and she accepts. And they have a little baby named Boaz. And then that leads us to the next Gentile woman, a lady by the name of Ruth. Look in verse 5. He goes on, he says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. As we dig a little deeper into Ruth, we discover she's not only a Gentile, she's a Moabite. And the Moabites were despised by the Jews. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, we discovered they were not allowed into the temple. Because they were considered to be unworthy to enter. You go back to their sordid history. It happened when Lot fled Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember his wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. And Lot hides out in a cave with his daughters. And there's uh, quite an account in the scriptures as we read about how these daughters get their father drunk. And both of them had sexual relations with him. And they conceived and had kids. And we say, good night, Lord. What are you doing? Why are you telling this kind of stuff, God? Why, why are you talking about the, the bad eggs in the bunch? Why are you bringing this to light? You're going to run everybody away? Because we need to be constantly reminded about the mission statement of Jesus Christ. He came not... To call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to make forgiveness possible. And that brings us to one more woman that's mentioned in the text. Look at verse um, 6. And Jesse, the father of King David. Isn't it great this Moabitess? She would uh, end up being... Connected directly to King David. Probably bounced him on her lap. Uh, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Have you read the scriptures about King David? Do you know what happened with Bathsheba? Now, this might sound like some gossip. It's pretty rough stuff. He's up on the roof and he sees this beautiful woman and no clothes on and she's bathing and it gets worse. I'm going to have to move on from G-rated from there, guys. They end up together. The child is born. <laughs> and, and, you know, well, it could have been a little softer if the scripture had said the wife of or the widow of Uriah. The widow of Uriah. But no, that's not what's said. It's the father of, of Solomon. The wife of Uriah. He brings up all this stuff. Once again. All, all this history that, that shades the sin of, of David. And the sin of this wife of Uriah. Bathsheba. But praise be to God, all this stuff just brings us down to verse 21 of Matthew 1. She will give birth to a son, 
And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, that's what this is all about. All these shady characters that are listed in the scripture is to show us that none of us is beyond the reach of God. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, we're not beyond the reach of the grace of God. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to offer you new life. He's not so interested in where you've been. He wants to help you in where you're going. That's his work. That's what he's up to. And here's some good news. If Jesus Christ was not ashamed of his ancestors, he will not be ashamed of his descendants. Amen? And by the way, the family tree of Jesus doesn't end in Matthew 1. It is still being written. The names of that family tree are written down in the book of life. And that happens when we take a good look at who we are and where we are. And who he is and where he is. And he says, come to me and I will not turn you away. If you're thirsty, I'll satisfy your thirst. If you're hungry, I'll fill your soul. That's the work of Jesus Christ. And he does it by invitation. And he is still doing that work. And this Christmas season, as we talk about gifts and exchanging gifts, we don't want to miss the gift. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for our Savior, Lord. He has the, the pedigree. He has what is needed. But beyond The family, Lord, the Jews would recognize is the work that we recognize. Is the work of a cross. It's the work of one without sin dying for a bunch of sinners. And uh, Father, um, at this time, we just want to worship you with an altar that's open. May we come to you, the living God, and pray. Father, sometimes we forget that this place is meant to be a holy place, Lord. It's, it's meant to be a place where we can come into your presence. And so it is with this altar, Lord. Um, maybe one who needs to do business before you, the altar's open. And Father, I, I just invite people to come to pray at this altar. Or to come a decision that may need to be made. Maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the time. To receive the greatest gift of all. The forgiveness of God. Found in Jesus Christ. The one who is worthy. The one who paid a price that we could not possibly pay. And Father I I pray that this might be the day. That one here would say Jesus. I, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Enter my heart. Make me a new person. And live through me. What a great gift and father i pray if there's one here who prayed that that they might um, come and share it with your people
<laughs> How awesome. Uh, Father, whatever else you're up to, as we think about this Christmas, Father, we are grateful for the manger and we're grateful for the cross and we're grateful that all of it was because you love us. And uh, So, Father, move our hearts that your story may truly be our story, Lord. And that story may be told. Lord, we love you, and as we stand to sing, and as we come if you call, we just want to be open to your Holy Spirit. So work, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.